You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 188. The power of asking a question will take you to destinations and explorations that you cannot imagine. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, Gift Biz Gal, Sue Monheit. Hi, Gift Biz listeners. It's Sue, and thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your time with me today. I have one announcement and one short story before we get into the show. The announcement is, if you are not already part of the Gift Biz Breeze Facebook group, oh my gosh, what are you waiting for? We have something super special happening right now in that group for the holidays for you, and I want you to be a part of it. To get all the details and to know what I'm talking about, however, you need to go over and join the Breeze. Joining is super easy. Just go on to Facebook, search for Gift Biz Breeze, and ask to join. I'll see you in the Breeze. Now for my short story. About four years ago was when I was really in-depth strategizing this podcast. As with anything you build, you want to have some planning and really think things through and determine how this is all going to come together, just like we do for our businesses, right? So I'm thinking to myself, I already knew this was going to be a guest interview-based show because I wanted to share other people who are creating businesses to show everybody how doable it is, and then to also share what's working for other people and people in your industry, people out of your industry, etc. So I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, where am I going to get all these people? I have a relatively sizable network of acquaintances and people through my other business, you know, the ribbon print company, but where am I going to find some of these other people? And there was an artist's work that kept popping out to me. I do a fair amount of traveling and a lot of times I was seeing her work at airport shops and I was always drawn into it. It was bold, it's beautiful, it's vibrant, it just really resonated with me. And I thought to myself way back then, so that's almost four years ago, wow, I wonder what her story is. And I wonder if I'd ever be in a position to have her on my show. Well, listen to this. Crazy things. You know, law of attraction. Once again, I don't know if it shows up in your life, but it shows up all the time in mine. Ends up our paths cross. I interviewed Sean Parola for the podcast. You might have heard her episode a couple of weeks ago. She and Sonia are friends. I guess they got to chatting and Sonia reached out to me. She was wondering if we could each be on each other's podcasts because we serve a similar audience. You. And I looked at the name and I'm like, no, that cannot be the same person I was thinking about four years ago. Of course, I go to the website, see her art because it's immediately recognizable. And I was like, this is insane how these things happen. And of course, I invited her onto the show in a second. And now you get to listen to her whole story. And I just want to point out what happened here. I had a thought for the future. I didn't know if it was obtainable or not. 
honestly, I really didn't think about it a lot more over the course of the years because I already had guests coming and I was able to easily find and attract guests into the show. But she's a special one because she brings me back to that time when I was wondering if the podcast was going to work. I was wondering if anyone was going to listen to the show. And I was wondering if ever I'd be able to have some of the guests of the caliber and quality that each and every one of our guests has been to date. So no more rambling with me. I just want to reinforce to me and point out to you once again that all of these things that we sometimes think aren't possible truly are. So now it is my great pleasure to introduce you to Sonia Paz. Sonia is a fine artist who has created her own highly recognizable individual brand and pop art style of painting. In addition to fine art paintings, products include Sonia Paz signature limited edition wristwear, watches, ceramics, apparel, clocks, jewelry, and framed prints. Her products are found in boutiques, museum shops, and wineries. And interior designers and decorators use Sonia Paz designs for modern home accents and original art. Sonia is also a marketing and branding whiz who has made a name for herself in the art world. She enjoys helping others who are developing their own brand and creative business. With her knowledge of expertise, marketing savvy, and sassy tenacity, Sonia pays it forward as the host and creator of the Rockstar Mentor podcast and related services. I am so excited that you are here, Sonia. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Hi, thank you so much. Sue, for having me on the show today. I am so excited and I just have to share with our listeners that I have been a lover of your work for years and was so excited when we were able to finally connect. I know. Such a small world. I can't believe it. And then you recently had one of my great friends, Sean Parola, with All the Buzz Gifts on. And I thought, I know this. I know this podcast. So that was exciting. Oh, so you were listening to me even before Sean was on. Yeah, because she had told me about it. Oh, got it. One of our meetings, I said, oh, I got to check it out. Because I just love anything. Well, you know, being that I'm in retail and do all the gifty kind of things too. I thought, oh, I love to hear what other people have to say. And I love to hear the journeys of other people in how they got to where they are. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to do with you too. Right now, it's a little bit challenging because you have so much going on. So we're going to see how much we can get to and not make this podcast like five hours long. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Before we get started, I'd like to introduce you in a little bit of a different way, have our audience get to know you by way of a motivational candle. And I'm guessing this is going to be super easy for you to do. So if you were to describe for us a motivational candle by color and quote that really speaks you, what would your candle look like? Well, my candle would be lime green because that is my favorite color. I love green. It just nature. It's energy. It's fun. It's flowing. And I'm picturing it with a cool label on it. I guess, I don't know if you want me to put a label on it. It's your candle. so It would be lime green with a copper wrapping that says, life is business as usual. (laughs) And I know that a lot of entrepreneurs and business people will understand that one because as an artist, as anybody, especially your listeners, my listeners, whoever are listening that are artists and entrepreneurs, you know that your mind is constantly spinning. So I always say life is business as usual. I mean, 
I don't know if a personal quote is good or if a more traditional one is, but that's the one that sort of stands out when I talk to people and we're working on a plan for them as far as their business or if I'm selling artwork to somebody is my art is my life and it's all business and I love business. (laughs) I know. How did we get ourselves here? All these women who love business and creators at that and then turning our crafts into businesses. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. When I opened up my gallery in downtown Campbell in 2008, well, I made the mistake of telling my husband a story about when I was a kid. I had a cardboard store in my bedroom. (laughs) And when we were doing the ribbon cutting at my gallery in December of 2008, the mayor was there and they asked Mark to talk for a few minutes. And so he told the story of the cardboard store. And then I thought, oh, no, now everyone knows. But I was destined to have some type of store presence or a love for retail or just to have something that I was owning and I was able to do and produce for others. I think that's a great story. I wouldn't be embarrassed by that at all. Oh, it, well, I was just taken back. I thought, oh, you're telling this 150 people. Oh, my God. You're telling <laughs> I want, this is, you know, welcome to Sonia's cardboard store. So, but it was a lot bigger than a cardboard store. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have to just say, because it's so relevant right here, I'll get a lot of people who will say, I want to start a business. I want to do something creative. And many creators do lots of different types of things. They might sew and they might needlepoint and they might knit or they might do watercolor and oil painting, you know, all different types of things. So what actually do they start as a business? And one of the things I always say is, well, what did you love as a child? Was it that you enjoyed so much? Because I'm seeing a commonality There's actually three different things. We're not going to go into that now. But part of it is what did you really love to do as a child? Because then you were so carefree. Right. There had been no societal rules that have been imposed on you yet. And so it's good to go back there. And your story falls right in line with that with your shop, your cardboard store. Yeah. And it's so (laughs) funny because we were in downtown Campbell. And a couple of friends of mine, other business owners, came up to me during our event and said, oh, my God, I love the story. She says, you know, well, one of my friends, Priscilla, and she had owned a gift shop down in downtown. She said, I understand. She says, it's a rare person that knows what they want to do at an early age. And she said, I totally get it. I had my own version of a cardboard store. So I felt like, okay, I have a tribe. There's (laughs) people do get it. I'm not out there. (laughs) For sure. Well, let's back it up from the in between the gallery and the cardboard store. So let's let's go back a little bit. How did you land on the idea of art and doing that as your business? Or you might even have to back up further than that. I don't even know your story, Sonia. So you're going to need to back up and kind of share how you've gotten to where you are. Oh, sure. Thank you. So I have always been creative back in the cardboard store, I had my own lemonade stand and everything that I did regarding business. Oh, and let me just add that I've been a cake decorator when I was in high school. I went from that to working as a florist. I went to floral design school in Anaheim, California right after high school. And I've just also been a natural marketer. So with all of these different creative businesses that I've had, I've just always just had the business hat on. And of course, you know, as we became a parent, I mean, a mother and had to provide for the family and everything, I worked in corporate and I worked at companies like Apple, Claris, Microsoft, Adobe. So these have always been creative companies, and I've thrived in that environment because it's who I am, and it's the composition of 
who I am and how I'm formatted. (laughs) (laughs) Before that, also, I also worked in automobile sales for Mitsubishi Motors. So I learned how to sell. I mean, hardcore selling, because when you're the only woman on a lot of salesmen, you got to get your game on. You got to be confident and they're going to dish it to you. You got to dish it back. But, you know, I wanted to be salesperson of the month quite often. And so I worked really hard to hone in on the sales skills. And I was a fish out of water at that point because I never sold anything that large of a product. So one of the managers took me under his wing and said, you know, you have to overcome a lot of these fears. So with that knowledge and working in high tech and being creative, I've sort of just started working and doing my art. So I would say in the mid 90s, I had a love for the Warhol style of artwork. And I decided that I, you know, of course, I love Lucille Ball. I did a eight week show at Gordon Beers Brewery in downtown San Jose. And the show was called Lucille Ball One Woman, Many Faces. And I had about 14 of these screen-printed, embellished, large paintings that we covered the entire restaurant in. And that was my first solo show. And I would say that although that's not the style that I really do today, it was something I had to get out of my system. There was a lot of things going on when I was working for Microsoft at the time. And it was just, it was a lot of pressure and a lot of things happening. And I wasn't happy at that job. I can probably say that now. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's all good. But I said, this is the goal that I'm going to have for this year. And I'm going to do that. And I did it. And it was so funny because people would ask me, hey, how'd you get that eight week show at the brewery? Oh, I picked up the phone. I contacted the manager and I asked the question. No way. It was that quick. It was. He said, sounds cool. Can you bring in a couple samples? And I didn't even have all the paintings yet. I had the screen print design. And that's a whole interesting story. The power of asking a question will take you to destinations and explorations that you cannot imagine. Because I didn't want to get in trouble for using an image of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. It was on a book cover that I had seen at Barnes & Noble. And I picked up the book cover. and I bought. Well, I picked up the book. I purchased it. And I flipped to the back of the book because I wanted to find who the publisher was so I can ask permission to use the image. Mm-hmm. So we're talking 1994, way before we had Google and Yahoo and all these big search engines where you, at the touch of a finger, you can get your information. I had to call, what was it? Information, the area code of New York City, 212-555-1212. Do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, call information when you actually had to dial 411. I had totally forgotten that. That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's how far back we're going. So I call this publishing company. I get this grumpy guy, and I'm picturing this guy in a smoky office with one window. The, The office is probably about four foot by 10 foot. This is what I'm picturing in my mind. And... I get this guy on the phone and he basically tells me in so many words that you've got a long haul here, young lady. You've got to find out this and that and you're going to have to write in. You're going to have to get an attorney and all this stuff. And I usually don't take no for an answer pretty easily. So I did some research. I ended up finding out the name of the photographer who took the photo. I looked him up in the Hollywood Hills directory. I ended up finding out that his wife was... He was, she was widowed because he had passed away, but his name was Leonard Nadell, and he is the gentleman who took the photo of Lucia Ball and Desi Arnaz in 1957. 
And I talked to her. I told her what my vision was and what I wanted to do. She said, would you kindly send me a letter requesting the information that you'd like and the purpose? I wrote her the letter. She wrote me back via mail, you know, the thing you put in the envelope and stick a stamp <laughs> on. And she gave me permission to use the image. So therefore, that image is what I took to the restaurant and said, this is what I'm going to be doing. And here's the scope of the project. And these are how big they're going to be. And the uh, manager, his name was John. I don't remember his last name, but he said, that sounds really cool. Let's set a date. And I about fell over. Wow. I thought, here we go. The game is on. The ceiling's coming down. The floor's coming up. And I'm going to just make this happen. So when you do that, because I see artists work in coffee shops around here. You know, I'm here in the northern suburbs of Chicago. When you do something like that, and all of your art then is for sale, right? Do you then give some type of a cut of a purchase back to that location? Is that how that works? Typically, it's depending on the coffee shop or restaurant, a lot of times the, and I would say a lot of times, don't quote me on this, but depends on the venue, depends on the restaurant. Sometimes they want to have 12 different looks throughout the year. So they will do a rotating artist or rotating photographer, or what have you, show at their restaurant. So they'll have someone that will curate that because they want to make sure they have, first of all, enough artwork to cover and that it's appropriate for all ages or it's, you know, nothing too political, controversial or mm -hmm. whatever. Well, and it the fits case. with the style that they want to present. Exactly. So a lot of the times they say, we'll have a reception for you and they'll pay for that. And at least in my case, it was, we'll do a reception for you. You bring the people, they buy food and drink. We're fine. And we had, on many occasions, I've done that. And that's how I started getting a lot of my artwork out there. And the Gordon Biersch Brewery in downtown was my first real show. But that was in 94. And then a lot of stuff kind of happened. I was not doing art as a full-time thing. I want to stop you, though, right here just for a second, because I think that point, the power of asking a question, is so powerful. And people just don't do it. They don't even think of asking. And look, when you talk about the story, there's two things here. And I am so glad we got on this story. The first thing is you got started, decided this is what you were going to do. It isn't the style of art that you now represent and that represents Sonia Paz as the brand, right? Right. But you got started. So it had to evolve to that from somewhere. So that was the first thing. And the second thing I really like is when you were going after getting permission for that photo, you found a different way. Right. Because you could have just closed up and said, okay, not doing it. You know, it's not going to work. He's telling me it's going to be a long, hard road. It's not right. worth it. I'll just find another photo. And expensive. And expensive. No, you found another way. Right. Which is really cool. It was pretty cool. I ended up meeting her. A couple of months later, when my cousin and I took a drive to Southern California, I called her and said, hey, I'm going to be in the ne your neck of the woods. Can I meet you? And she invited us to her house for tea. It was the most surreal event. I thought I walked into a set of some old movie in this home with photography all over the walls. And oh, my gosh. Sort of an art deco decor. It was insane. <laughs> I can I only imagine. I myself. <laughs> really? She was so lovely. You're absolutely correct. If I had said in all my life, if I take no for an answer and just go and take my marbles and go somewhere else, I would not be who I am today. The reason I always use the word tenacity or tenacious, it's not meant in a bad way. It's meant to be in a very spunky, sassy way. Mm -hmm. 
so that, I mean, I'm about four foot tall. I'm petite. (laughs) I have people tell me that I'm 10 feet tall because what comes out of my mouth and my personality overrides my size. Because as a child, I was always the last one picked for sports. I was always underestimated and understated because I was smaller. And I think I wasn't taken seriously for a lot of years. And I got important stuff to talk about. Yeah. Well, and I have to say, I mean, when I look at your style, it's bold. It's solid. It's bold. It's like, you know exactly what it is, right? There's no reading between the lines. There's a lot of intricacy in terms of all the elements, but all your colors are bold. So that has all gone into your creative outlet as well. Right. And that style developed from the Lucille Ball thing. That was something I needed to get out of my system. But I didn't carry through that Warhol-esque style of art ongoing. I actually didn't do art for three years or so. We had some family changes in our home. And then I decided that I needed to surround myself around something positive. And I took my love of the cubistic style of Picasso and Brock and all that. And I took the style of American pop art, Lichtenstein, Herring, Warhol, and Peter Max, and the artists that really had a simple style with a strong statement. I took my cubistic style and the love for pop art, and I melded the two together. And I did everything (laughs) that my art teachers told me never to do. They always said, oh, you can't mix this style with that. The masters never did this. The masters never did that. My response to that was, well, I don't know anything about the masters and I'm they're dead and <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with setting up those roles. So I'm going to go do my own thing. That's how that whole style evolved. And it's really taken a lot of different directions over the last, oh gosh, we're going on 22 years of creating. Is it really 22 years? Gosh, about that. <laughs> I have to say that you have achieved what I think a lot of people strive for. Because if someone, I'm, I have a mug here, right, from you, we were talking about that before. I've seen right. your products. If I walk in anywhere and I see something of yours, I know automatically it's yours because your style is so unique. Now, could someone try and copy it? Probably, but they're not going to do a very good job because of just the way everything is put together and your unique way of creating it and all of that. And I think that's what, as makers, everyone is trying to do, have something where even if they couldn't see the name on it, they know who it is. They know where it's from. Right. And I have lots of people say, hey, I saw your stuff at a friend of mine's house in New Orleans or whatever. And I would think, nah, 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 it's just, it looks like mine, you know, and it would end up being my art. So I have what we call Sonia sightings. <laughs> there you go. It's got to be so rewarding. It gives me a giant warm fuzzy. And I think, really? Well, what was your name? Well, which piece was it? What did it look like? Where was it hanging? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Then comes the drill. So I have to ask this question. I'm not a painter. I'm not an artist in that way. Were you first just doing pictures on paper and then you saw that people started liking them or what were those first steps? I keep bringing you back because I think it's good information for people to understand the progression. Sure. Well, I was working when I was doing the style, I started doing it just for me. Doing what? Painting on paper or what was that? Painting on paper, they were smaller, way smaller, about five by seven. And then I daringly went up to eight by 10. I was doing acrylic on 140 pound watercolor paper and doing the art and painting on the dining room table when the kids went to bed. I have two sons and they were much younger at the time. And so after they would go to bed, it was my time to sort of just decompress. Mm-hmm. I worked an eight to 10 hour day, 
had two kids. I wrangled them at night. My uh, former spouse and I had parted ways, and he ended up getting sick, and he passed away. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. And here we were as doing the single parent thing. I mean, full time, no break, <laughs> that kind of thing. And so the painting really took me back to relaxing and zoning out and just creating from the heart and creating things that were meaningful to me. And the bright colors really made me feel a lot better. Plus, I wanted to hang art in my house that I liked, that I could really relate to. So I started hanging these up. And then a neighbor had come over. I had a new neighbor that moved in next door. She had come over. She wanted to introduce herself. Of all things, I had this crazy martini painting in my entryway. And she goes, wow, that's really cool artwork. Where'd you get that? And I said, oh, I did that. No, really? Can you make one for me? And I was sort of taken back. I go, well, I probably could. And she said, well, how much will it cost? I said, 25 bucks and the cost of the frame. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And from that, when eBay was, I want to say 1999-ish, yeah, it was 1999, I started selling on eBay. I thought, well, I'll paint a couple paintings. I'll put them on paper. And I would paint them. And the next day, I'd go to work. I'd come home at lunch, and I would photograph them in the driveway, just because that was where the sun shined the best. And for me, my artwork was better photographed in sunlight versus in a light box and before they had light boxes and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. So I would do that. And then that night, I would prep the artwork in Photoshop, put a little watermark, and then I would wait till Sunday to post about three or four on eBay. I had a little routine I would do every week, and I started getting bids on these little paintings, eight by 10 paintings. And then I would get asked by others about commissioned work and, you know, hey, could you do a picture of my daughter on a 16 by 20 canvas? And I'm thinking, oh my God, 16 by 20. (laughs) That's huge. So, which is nothing now. But back at the time, I thought, wow, I'm going to have to go buy an easel. Gosh, you know, this is a big step. And it just snowballed because as people started collecting and buying them, I would create more. And that was the beginning. So I do thank eBay for my beginnings on selling my art. And I didn't have to be present to be selling it. I love the fact that you talk about you didn't have fancy cameras, you didn't have lighting, you didn't have a light box on your driveway in the sun, which again goes back to the fact that we can be our own worst critics and we can stop ourselves with our thinking. Because you could have said, no, I can't do it yet. I don't have a fancy camera. I need to hire a photographer, whatever. You didn't do that. And eBay is such a good idea because you're able to test. First, you had your neighbor come in, which probably that's light bulb moment. Like, wait, someone really wants to spend money and pay me to do this? That's interesting, (laughs) right? And then eBay, so great because you only had to make a couple of items and then see if they sell. So you weren't risking too much putting yourself out there from a financial standpoint. You know, emotionally, of course, you want everyone to love what you're doing, but an excellent way and demonstration of how to start growing little by little. Sure. And of course, eBay is so different now, but eBay at the time in 99 was great. I mean, you could get rid of the drapes in your living room. If you don't like them, take a photo, stick them up on eBay. There was so many different ways to sell so many different things. And I had been part of this artist group called EBSQ, which was started by John Seed. He actually reached out to eBay in those early days and worked with a gal in the category section of eBay. Because at the time, to list your painting or artwork or current works, it was the category was art and antiques slash 1900 to present. (laughs) Well, 
hello. Oh my gosh. We're in 1999. I mean, are you really going to put everything from 1901 to 1999 in this one category. So he worked with them to identify and create what is now called self-represented artists. And it stemmed from there. So I always give him a giant kudos on working and taking the initiative to work with eBay on that categorization. And I think that really made strides and opened up so many doors for so many artists. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Sonia, get nervous. I have a question for you. Okay. Are you, are you ready? I I got my seatbelt on. (laughs) Okay. If you were at that spot today, where back then it was eBay, putting a couple of pieces up just to see what would happen. If you were there today, and I'm thinking of some of our artists who might be there right now, what direction would you take today with the platforms that exist? Oh, you mean with our current social media? Like what platform? Like then it was eBay to try and sell and like test your product. Where would you put it today? I know you can't wait to hear what Sonia's answer is on this. It's coming up right after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. I've come a long way from eBay. I know that from there has been other different types of selling, for instance, Etsy is huge. And then, you know, it was almost unheard of if somebody had their own website at that time. But I developed my own website and started selling, worked with one of my developer friends at Adobe to create a shopping cart for me back when e-commerce was really, really new. So Etsy, you think is a good platform to do the same thing today that you did back then on eBay? Yeah, well, there's a lot of things. I mean, there's WordPress now. You can get a WordPress site. You can get integration for e-commerce on there. There's Shopify. There's a lot of really great plug-and-play, do-it-yourself sites that will take care of the e-commerce. I mean, depending on what you're selling, could even do a lot of fulfillment for you if you're at that point. And if you are, congratulations. So you can even sell your art on Facebook. I mean, you can sell anything anywhere. In the last 20 plus years, there's been so many great places and ways to sell your art. A lot of people from eBay went to Etsy because it was the place to sell your artwork, your craft, your supplies, from jewelry to crochet to anything. Yeah, and specifically, it was from people who were making something handmade. Right. Yeah. And since then, of course, we have Pinterest now. We have social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of these things are great. But I do believe your listeners may beg to differ, but there's a lot of information overload because I get asked because of my podcast, where do I start? Do I start on Facebook? Do I get my website done first? Do I go to Etsy? Do I create my own Shopify account? So there's so much data overload. I would say hone in on one thing that you really feel really comfortable around. If you want to do Etsy, focus on that. If you want to try Shopify, focus on that. Otherwise, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Was this order on Facebook? Was this order on Etsy? Was it on Shopify? Was it through the website? So if you can hone in and just really narrow it down to where you're selling and feel good and get really good at it. It's hard to get really good at every type of other type of selling portal out there. I would agree. And I don't think there's one right answer. Really, because there's so much opportunity out there, so many different things. You can try one platform if it doesn't work then go to another. I'm talking more social media right now. But for sure, everyone should have a website, whether it's WordPress or you put it on more of a template driven like a Shopify site or Etsy. 
somewhere that you call your home. And then you drive your social media to your website. So you have both of those. I guess the point is, again, this is another place where people can just get stuck and say, I'm so confused, I'm just not going to do anything. Because what if I don't pick the right thing? And there really is no right thing. Right. And when I have someone who reaches out to me because of the Rockstar Mentor podcast, which I'm sure we'll talk about for a little few minutes afterwards. And so I'll have people ask me, hey, I'm getting started. Where do I start? And I'll talk to them. and We'll kind of drill it down. Where are you? Are you selling just original art? Are you doing prints yet? Are you creating any retail products? So when I started doing my website, I had more than just original art to offer. I had, oh gosh, in the early 2000s, I was doing matted prints. It was a very small product line at the time. And so, you know, I had, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 different products, whereas now I have about six or 700 products. But we decided in 2004 to go to Art Expo International in New York City. And I thought, if I want to do art and I'm going to sell and I'm going to be a pro, if you want to play with the big kids, you got to go to the big kids yard. And I didn't just go there as a participant. I thought, you know what, if I'm going to spend the money for hotels and airfare, I'm just going to get a booth and I'm going to bring my art and I'm going to make a presence. And so I did. I took the gamble and it ended up paying off because I ended up learning a lot. But I also connected with other people who have art galleries that were looking for my type of style to be able to represent me in their galleries. So was your focus specifically getting into galleries versus stores at that time or ever? What was your thinking there? I wanted to, I mean, I had my small little product line of matted prints of different sizes. I had limited edition prints that I had manufactured for me. And I wanted to get into, well, I wanted to get in a gallery because I thought, I mean, that's going to really give me the big credentials that I need. But walking away from the show, I noticed that a lot of bigger artists had art products. So they had purses or they had sculptures, they had bigger prints, they had prints on boxes. There was just a lot of retail type of things. So I also had been approached by many licensed companies at Art Expo and people saying, hey, we love your art. We think it would look great on mugs and keychains and textiles. And so on the plane ride home, Mark, my husband and I were, he and I were talking and one of the pieces of advice I had been given by a good artist friend was go to the show, get as many business cards and write everything down on the back of the business card for that contact as possible and follow up, follow up, follow up. So I had this little box, this little plastic box (laughs) that I had put all the cards in and I kept that with me because I thought this is my gold. I'm not going to let go of this. This isn't going on check on. This isn't going on the seat. It's going to go in my purse. So on the way home on the plane, we were looking at him and I said, I got about seven or eight cards just from licensed companies. I must have something that they want. So we started talking about products and in short, Mark and I decided, well, what kind of product would I use that I would like? And I loved watches. And I thought, you know, my art would look great on a watch because I would wear the watch all the time because that's the thing that I like. I want something different and unusual. So we started looking on creating a whole watch line and we ended up going into the watch business. And I'm not talking working with somebody who was manufacturing for other people. This was my watch line. Mark designed the casing, everything for the the engraving, the colors of the bands were based on color swatches that I actually use. 
We found a watch manufacturer overseas who worked with us. We had the images of the watches printed locally at a photography company because we wanted to make sure the quality wasn't going to fade. It was going to be top quality and it was going to be the best representation of my artwork to go on this product. So it was a multi-step process and it took several months, almost a year, just to create the first five styles. And those were not limited edition for that first few that we created. So when we went back to Art Expo in 2005, we had, I think, 18 styles at that point. And it was the hit of the show. And we were in a platinum section at Art Expo. And that was luck in itself. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting shivers over here. I know. So it was a whirlwind. It was a wild ride. (laughs) It was a fulfilling, stressful I was very proud, I still am very proud of everything that we've done through that journey, but everything has changed. Art Expo isn't like it used to be. It's not even at the Javits anymore, but the memories and the experience from all of that, just coming full circle and having my own galleries and all that was really cool because we did ceramics as well. And everything we did, it was a hefty investment. So we didn't have a lot of print on demand that they have now. And I wanted to create something that was really us. It wasn't just using a licensing company and getting 5% of something they're going to get 95% of. We got 100% of everything and of all of our efforts to be able to create something that was truly a Sonia Paz branded product. The thing that resonates to me throughout the whole story here is that you put yourself in a place and found out something new and that affected an action that moved you forward. If you had never been to that first one where you said you put yourself out in a big way, right? Right. You would have never seen and gotten the realization that other people had products, you know, and were putting things on all of these different pieces that led to one thing and then led to another. And a limited edition watch line? Seriously? That's so cool. From that, we ended up hiring a whole bunch of reps throughout the country to go to specialty boutiques, galleries, museum shops, and all that. And... Well, you know, when you're managing reps, it's managing. Well, that's a whole different type of business then. Yeah, that was, if anybody's out there (laughs) thinking about doing it, call me first. Oh, boy. (laughs) You know, you're dealing with reps who are dealing with dozens of other lines. And it was really hard to get them to carry the vision through each and every shop that they would go to. So the mailing out tons of samples, answering the questions over and over, sending out tons of tear sheets. It was almost like managing employees, but I don't want to say but worse, but it was a real hefty task. Yeah. And to your point, they're repping a number of different lines. So how do you know that yours is going to rise to the top? They're going to show. Oh, I remember those days so well. Yeah. So as I said, this could be like three hours long because I I have a million questions on the product side, but I don't want to miss out on talking with you about brand development and marketing and all the gold I know you're going to share with us on that end. Sure. And just to kind of lay the groundwork here, I loved this with Sonia too, because she's got all this going on, as we've heard, we would all want to be you. Okay, let's just lay it out there. (laughs) And then yet you see another way of servicing people and helping move things forward. You can't even call it a pivot because you still have everything else you've layered on. But I see this as an opportunity for a lot of other makers and creators who maybe or maybe aren't at the bigger level like you are, but it's another opportunity to serve an audience in a field that you love, in the creator field. So with that as the groundwork, Sonia, take it away. 
now and let's talk about the Rockstar Mentor. Okay. So when I had my gallery in downtown Campbell, and that was from 2008 through 2012, I got asked this question often. And the question was, oh, can I take you out to lunch? I would love to pick your brain to see how you market yourself because you've done a fantastic job with your brand. And I did because my brand was how you feel when you come in the gallery, what the smells, the tastes, all that, all the good stuff that comes along with having an art gallery. And I was an art gallery where I sold only my work. I didn't have time to represent anybody else. I was working full time to represent myself and to sell my own products because we had 2,300 square feet of complete Sonia. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It had to be so beautiful in there. It was very impressive. With all the color, I can only imagine. Yeah. And so there was a brand. We had packaging to create, you know, had the clocks that were packaged in. We had pillows. We had packaging for the watches, packaging for all of the jewelry and the list goes on. And so I would get asked all the time and I would spend time with people and I'd want to help them out and where are they in their creative journey? Or I even had lawyers who said, hey, I'm a lawyer, but I like to paint on the side. Can I pick your brain? So I got enough of that, but I would run into people and later and I would say, hey, how's that going? How's your art? Oh, I never had time to do that. They would say, because I got really busy or my daughter's son never ended up pursuing it because blah, blah, whatever reason. And I would think, okay, and I'll be really blunt here, is I would think, okay, you totally squeezed my brain for two and a half hours and you did nothing with it. So that really opened up an opportunity for me to start doing art marketing workshops at the gallery. And that was really great. I would do those about three times a year and we'd get a nice crowd. I'd prepare materials for everyone. We'd have Q&A. Mark would talk about the product end of things. And it was about a three-hour workshop at the gallery. That was fine and dandy for the people that were local, but it really didn't have, that really wasn't good or useful for anybody that was outside of the area. Were you charging for that? Yes. And so you were also building a curriculum also. You were seeing what was working too in the workshops. Right. At the time, we called it Get in the Game. (laughs) And it was called the Guerrilla Art Marketing Experience. I know. It's kind of, I look back and think, oh, God. But at the time, it was a great name. Sure. You know, Guerrilla Marketing, get out there, do it, do it, do it. Get out there, get out there, get out there, do it yourself. Be brave, be tenacious, don't be afraid. You're not going to learn this by getting an MBA at Harvard. This is putting on the hip waders and jump in the trenches of really just getting out there and doing it on your own. So that's how that name came on. And then after we closed the gallery, I sort of transitioned back to studio by appointment. And then we ended up moving out of the area. So podcasts, I know they've been around for a long time, but I started doing Rockstar Mentor Podcast in 2016. So about a little over two and a half years old and 110 episodes. I created it because one, I wanted to overcome some fears that I had, and that was being on video and listening to myself on audio. Those were two things I could not stand. I couldn't stand watching myself on video, and I could not stand listening to myself on audio. So I thought, I got to get over this. I have a voice and I have ideas and I have experience that I want others to know about. I want them to know what to expect and how to network and how to get it out there, how to be fearless. And there's just a whole variety of things that I wanted to put out there because I 
didn't have those cool tools when I was starting out. And it was almost taboo to ask anybody in the highfalutin art industry questions. You couldn't ask questions. You know, who do I call? How do I start a website? Where do I buy these frames? You know, how do I establish a retail or wholesale account? That type of thing. It was almost a hush-hush, ooh, you know, you're asking me that question. Well, it's not rocket science. You're going to figure it out eventually because everybody does. But I've provided resources and ideas and ways and confidence for others to be able to do that without feeling bad or hindered or embarrassed. So I created the podcast essentially to help people get over the hump of not doing it, saying that they're going to do it and constantly saying they're going to do it. Because I know a lot of artists who say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And here they are five years later, not moving in that direction. I totally get it. It's heartbreaking because I run into the same people. I didn't have a workshop like you do, but I have a trade show booth and people come up and a lot of listeners already know my story. I'm not going to say it there, but I'm seeing the same thing that they're afraid to start because they don't know what to do. And they're afraid of failing right off the bat. And I really want to say to everybody, you're going to fail off the bat, but don't look at it as failing. Look at it as an experiment so that you can get into the groove and find what's really going to work. Now, when you started, because I think I still see it even sadly today, and my motivation behind my show is just the same as yours. You know, we want people to get started so that they aren't 30 years down the road here with regrets saying, what if, you know, if only I would have put my fear or my ego or whatever it is that's holding them back aside, what if I would have done that? And so I think by right. showing other people's stories, even people who have had such great success as you, if you break it down to the steps that you took, apart from that watch part, <laughs> apart from that watch, because that's a little crazy. But a lot of these steps don't seem to be too hard. It's just a matter of getting out and starting. Right. And asking questions. Because there's people in different facets of business, whether it's creating products, doing websites, doing SEO, creating different types of products, or teaching you how to use their equipment to make a product. They're in business. They want to be asked questions. So don't be afraid to reach out and say, hey, can you help me with this? I mean, I ask questions all the time. And my father always said, a person who doesn't ask questions doesn't want to be smart. <laughs> yeah. You have to ask. And, you know, Sue, like what you said is if you were running, I mean, everybody, I'm sure every listener here in the history of podcasts of the world has fallen down to scrape their knee. It's not going to hinder you from walking again, is it? So everyone's going to fail in some capacity. Some are bigger fails and smaller fails, but don't use that as a way to say, well, I've done that, I failed, and I'm just going to stop. No, it should teach you that you can move forward and get it right and not think of it as bad failure because failure is only going to make your success a lot stronger. Yeah. I mean, your ego might get bruised, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I was to stop doing what I'm doing because of ego or mean people, namely Mr. Editor at the book editor, <laughs> right. I would not have been able to experience what I've experienced. Well, and here's the sad thing about that. We wouldn't have your beautiful art. I mean to say that truly, oh. because you've seen, <laughs> no, I really am, because you see how many people love it, right, from all the sightings around, <laughs> that wouldn't be here. And I say that as a compliment to you, but I also say that for our listeners, because what are you creating that you're keeping from all of us by not getting your knee bruised a little bit? And I really, really honestly do mean that. The other thing, I'm starting to have this as a common theme because I think it's really important, is that because so many people won't do it, 
if you push past those problems, you try something, it doesn't work, but you keep going. Every time you do that, you overcome another hurdle or whatever it is, people fall by the wayside. So the road gets easier. There's less people there because you've learned something, you've moved to a different level, there's less people. You encounter a problem, you figure it out, you cross the hurdle, other people fall off. The playing field, I guess I'll say, keeps getting smaller and smaller in terms of the number of people that are there. Right. And that's, you know, with anything, with any kind of job or life experience, you're going to have, people will fall off. And that's, they got to, I guess they have to account for that. But for the folks who I know, who I network with, who have businesses in all, a variety of business, realtors, mortgage people, chiropractors, you know, whatever. I mean, Sean Perlo, who was in your recent podcast, she's in my networking group and we trade ideas and we support one another. And you have to support your fellow business person. I used to know someone who was held tight. We're talking late 80s. She held tight to her sources. You know, I'm not going to tell you where I buy my wreaths or I'm not going to tell you where I buy my cake baking supplies, whatever. You know, that stuff, it's not a hidden secret. You just have to sometimes take the time. And now that we have the internet, the beautiful thing of our online presence and internet and everything that you can locate just about anything anywhere. Absolutely. And you can get support. Facebook groups are a great place for support. Absolutely. In one of my early episodes on the podcast, I had someone write in and say, I don't have a networking group in my area. What do you suggest? And I told her, go start your own. If you want to have your own artist group, start in your community. Go on to meetup. Start getting around people who are artists or even independent business owners and create your own group. There's no rule that says you can't. So more power to you and make it happen. Absolutely. And I love your podcast because you have all the different stories and people who tell their story. And I want to just add to listeners listening to any podcast, yours, mine, anything out there that they feel inspired or whatever, is when you're communicating with other people in business, listen to what they're telling you. Listen to their story because you will find so much inspiration in the words from other people who have you know, scraped their knees and got up and kept running and it's all good. Yeah. I think even when it's outside of our industry, you almost listen with a different angle. And I think you pick up things that if it's in your same industry, you might miss. Right. So I almost feel there's more value when it's not your, you almost feel like, like if you're a baker and you're listening to another baker, you already know a lot about that industry. But someone who's a baker who's listening in here, that hear it in a different way, just because it's applied to a different type of making, if you will. Correct. Yeah. Could really, really resonate with them where it wouldn't have otherwise. Absolutely. (laughs) Sonia, I now want to invite you to Dare to Dream. Okay. I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. Not everybody else that you're helping along, but yours. (laughs) This is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What's inside your box? So my box, I would have to say, Sue, that it is just continuing helping other creative people, anybody in a small business, flourish in their vision. I love it when people ask me for advice and questions or they connect with me to want to have a path to help them move forward because they're hindered by self-doubt or the imposter syndrome. I will be your superhero to help you move forward and just get it out there and make your brand better. 
love it. Absolutely love it. So most people only get one, but I'm giving you two. Where could people come and connect with you for two different things? First, let's go with your beautiful art and everything that's there. If someone wants to get a look at everything and see what's available, where would you direct them? Okay, so my website is soniapaz.com. It's S-O-N-Y-A-P-A-Z.com. That's my sole website for my art. And you can see all the retail products on there as well as some original works. And I have a blog on there, which is interesting. It's not been updated recently, but it's really interesting. I heard how you started to get a little quieter with that statement. (laughs) Oh, sorry. You can take that out. No, it was funny. It hasn't been updated. I can raise my hand to that too. But you're doing a podcast. So of course. Okay, super. And then what about for the mentoring and the podcast and all? Where would someone go for that? Sure. My website for the podcast is rockstarmentor.com. It's rockstarandmentortogether.com. And you can reach me there. You can also find the podcast on my website, as well as iTunes on Apple, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. But I also have a player on the website. If you go to rockstarmentor.com and go up under podcast, you'll see the player there. Or if you're a reader and not much of a listener, then you can always get the show notes under the blog show notes section on the website. Beautiful. Perfect, perfect. It's so nice now that the podcasts are so many different places. You can put them so many different places because it gives an opportunity for everybody where they feel the most comfortable to be. Sure. So that is wonderful. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your being on the show. I had no clue about your story and no surprise because you're so successful, but no surprise that there are so many best practices that you follow all the way along. Gift Biz listeners, you've got to see her art. You absolutely have to see it. It's beautiful. It will put a smile on your face. You've got to listen to her podcast. You can tell more of the goodness that she shared here is all over that show, I am quite sure. Sonia, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing with my listeners today. Thank you, Sue. This has been such a treat and an honor to be on your podcast show today. And I really, really appreciate your reaching out and connecting with me. Wonderful. And you know, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Because you are going to be on my show sooner than later. Oh, yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Bye for now. Take care. Bye-bye. As an additional holiday gift to you, if you've been listening to the sponsor of this podcast, you know that we promote custom ribbon printing. If this is something on your wish list and you would like to know about a holiday promotion for a custom ribbon printer of your very own, get in touch with us via email sales at theribbonprintcompany.com to learn more about your very special holiday offer. This promotion is only available through November 30th, 2018. Adding customization to your business could be the thing that's needed to attract more customers and grow your sales in 2019. And here's something else that could help. Are you discouraged because your business is not performing as you had envisioned? Are you stuck and confused about how to turn things around? Sue's new best-selling book is structured to help you identify where the holes are in your business and show you exactly how to fix them. You'll learn from Sue and owners just like you who are seeing real growth and are living their dream. Maker to master. 
Find and fix what's not working in your small business. Get it on Amazon or through www.giftbizunwrapped.com master.